right, good morning. So <clears throat> today is class 55 in Sutta Nipata. Today is 11-11-20, November 11, Wednesday, 2020, or so it seems, here in Taiwan. And <clears throat> we're going to the second portion of the reading, second reading of Vayatanupasana Sutta. <clears throat> Interesting, uh, I looked, did a Google search for the word Vayatanu. Not, <laughs> there's, there's nearly no references to it in the entire Google situation. Uh, I believe that Pasana is the same as Vipassana, actually, which commonly translates as insight. And so Pasana uh, is a type of insight. And <clears throat> Vaya, Vayatanu is very much related to the term Advaita. Uh, vaita, Advaita um, means non-dual. And so Dvaita means dual. Or Dvayutanu, Vayatanu is associated with duality. And that's where you get Tanasaro's translation as uh, contemplation of dualities for the title of the sutta. And you can just see how <laughs> the other fellows, John Ireland and Olenziki, Olenziki, who did excerpts of it on the Access to Insight site, Insight, Access to Insight site, <clears throat> translated it as a noble one's happiness, has nothing to do with the title, a teaching hard to know, nothing to do with the literal translation of the title. Only, it seems, Tanisaro put it as contemplation of dualities, although it's not listed in the correct order, with the three titles and the three translators, but <laughs> whatever, it's hard to say. On his own page of translation, he called it contemplation of dualities. And the gloss is, not all dualities are misleading. This sutta teaches ways to contemplate the duality of the origination and cessation of stress and suffering so as to reach awakening. You can say that <clears throat> um, contemplation of dualities, contemplation of key uh, principles that express as dualities uh, serves our enlightenment or uh, moves one towards enlightenment. The wise and deep contemplation of various core dualities. And <clears throat> the core dualities that are being presented in the sutta are very much associated with upadi. Upadi on Wisdom Library uh, from a book called Manual of Buddhist Terms and Doctrines. This is where some of the definitions on Wisdom Library come from. Translated as substrata of existence. Existence is inner outer, uh, name and form. <clears throat> the subject, the, the sense of subjectivity or a sense of self that is subject doing the naming of the perceptions of object uh, environment, form, name and form, the, the forms of the so-called outer environment, as well as the forms uh, that the subject, the sense, <laughs> the one that thinks he's a subject or a separative agent, is identifying in the mind or the body. These are all forms being named <clears throat> or um, the, the basis of what we call existence. So is it inner, is it outer? It's inner, outer. Is the path up or down? It's up-down. Is it love or light? It's love-light. Is it one or two? It's both. It's appearance and reality 
it's uh, apparently transient and essentially empty of all characteristic for the one that's free of ignorance. So, okay. <laughs> so, there are 16 dualities <clears throat> in the Sutta, Vayatanupasana, which could be called um, insight on dualities, like Vipassana, Vaita, Vaita, Vipassana, or Vaita, Pasana, um, insight on duality. Okay, that's fine. And another definition or ex, uh, an expansion of the meaning of upadi or substrata of existence is the five skandhas, the five constituents of the sense of self, desire, kamma, mental defilements, klesha, uh, which we talked about at length, and karma. And the 16 dualities here have bearing on all of these portion, these elements of the substrata, and some of what you'll see, what we go, what we went through a little bit halfway through last time, is um, contemplation of dualities associated with the skandhas, contemplation of dualities associated with what's called dependent origination or codependent arising, the sixteen, the, the uh, I think it's ten links in the chain of dependent origination, paticca samuppada, which includes some of the core um, dynamics that give rise to birth and birth, aging, death. Uh, and there, some of them are listed in this um, sutta of various dualities, and as well as uh, various states that associate or at the root of klesha formation. So onto the page of the sutta itself, uh, from the first paragraph, see, we ended last time after the duality associated with craving, which is one of the um, factors of dependent origination. And the page on Klesha is where I gave you there, <clears throat> shows that there are different, actually there are 12 factors uh, that can be divided into three rounds, including karma, uh, karma result, and Klesha. <laughs> there, so you've got the um, 12 factors, not 10, 12 factors of dependent origination um, that could be seen as the substrata, as one presentation of substrata of existence. Likewise, the five skandhas, meaning this constituent compilation that gives rise to the sense of self that's not finished until late sixth density, so it seems. While saying going into seventh density, they will no longer have memory and identity. So any um, samskaric or composite mentally conceived sense of identity is gone. And actually for that to be gone, uh, for samskara to be gone, you actually need perception to be finished. Mm. So as I said last time, this, this teaching, this spiritual teaching is very serious and much more so than nearly everyone that I've seen uh, Westerner, particularly including Western teacher, of uh, Advaita Vedanta, non-dual, as well as New Age type, as well as um, the common understanding of um, Buddhist followers. It's only a few Buddhist scholars and um, Buddhist yogis and Buddhist teachers or accomplished um, seniors, elders, in any of the Buddhist schools who know how deep goes the well here. And so, um, with the ending of perception comes the ending, uh, ultimately, of samskara. And so, 
you might take a look at this and so the 12 factors are like it depends on how you go where, where which is the first which is the last it just goes round and round if we look at the 10 fetters the top 10th fetter is called ignorance 1098 ignorance restlessness and conceit conceit is basically uh, ahamkara it's basically the sense of selfhood that is mentally conceived and so the teaching of anatta doesn't mean there's no self it means that there's no self in the skandhas <laughs> so perception and mental formation and consciousness itself born of ignorance without ignorance tenth fetter there's no other fetters there's no required rebirth in the octave uh, but right after ignorance or if we look at the 12 links on the page Wikipedia kleshas you know these are not you can call them kleshas they're not really they're a discussion of the interplay between various kleshas which can be listed as 10 or more in different places and these 12 factors it's all very very high level but I think we can get it where um, the 12 factors can be begun we can begin the list from aging death uh, where the person's already incarnated and they're about to leave or we can start it from ignorance starting it from ignorance which is at the bottom it's also at the top of the ten fetters and so um, there's no um, one through nine unless there's ten and the ordering could be reversed in that the first clay the first fetter which is the last to go is ignorance avidya and then uh, the second the the last three is really where where the great ending of um, uh, the octave um, the, the working that completes the required uh, incarnation the octave is what the arhat does that no other you know the three previous levels of awakening have not yet done and that I think specifically um, focuses on the last three fetters and that's conceit the very perceptions of a separative identity and leading to mental conceptions samskara of um, separative personal identity identity as this or that basically a defined identity and that's the identity Ra loses and drops when they go to seven and then restlessness so restlessness as the ninth and so in the chain of dependent origination um, if you start it from the bottom called ignorance which is avidya which is tenth fetter the next one is formations which is sankara and so uh, by way of ignorance that's agitated agitated ignorance is the tenth fetter uh, stirred by the ninth the ninth is restlessness so restless ignorance gives rise to a sense of self or the eighth fetter conceit and that's very much associated with consciousness yeah and so consciousness is born of ignorance which is vijnana in buddhism or in, in sanskrit and Gautama saying directly even consciousness vitskanda is born of ignorance avidya um, has a very interesting linkage here where tenth fetter ignorance which is what all beings that are not yet finished with reincarnation in the octave labor under um, stirred by the ninth fetter restlessness gives rise to the eighth fetter conceit or ahamkara likewise in the chain of dependent origination the last of the twelve which could also be started you know could be considered the first the first the last whatever 
you know, 360 is zero, so zero and 360 are the same. Uh, you end up where you started, or you start where you will end up. The uh, 10th fetter ignorance, or 12th factor of uh, dependent origination ignorance. Uh, in the chain, in, the, in this chain of uh, because of this, therefore that, dependent origination, ignorance goes next to formations. Formations actually is sankara, meaning mental conceptions. And, and the next is consciousness. <clears throat> and so what we call, what, what's called um, consciousness is self-consciousness. And so there's unified self-consciousness, sixth entity, but there's still a sense of selfhood. I am light. Ra said we no longer seek light, we become light. Okay, that's wrong. <laughs> that's their belief based on their perception, based on contact between their mind sense and phenomena, particularly the phenomena of all dimensions being of light, intelligent energy, light love, love light. And realizing unity is realizing I am the one light. I is the one light, and the I, all I is the one light. I with a capital I for Irving, and I, E-Y-E, -E, the uh, capital I for Irving. Irving was my grandfather. He's a good guy. Or not, not quite a good guy, but he, he was a rough guy, but he was a good guy under there somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> I for Irving is uh, known by the fully opened I, E-Y-E, in Sixth Sensity, there's the awareness, I is light, and all is this one light. I is the one light. That's still uh, a conception or an experience that is conceived based on perception and subjective consciousness. And so, the, the <laughs> I is this or I is that means I is not otherwise. Uh, and that's basically the transit from avidya through sankaric uh, forming, you know, volitional compounding or uh, fermenting or fabricating uh, subjective consciousness. And that's uh, how we go. Now, <laughs> Vayatanu Pasana Sutta, or insight on dualities, which is a rough way of translating, uh, gives us 16 of them, some of which are skandhas, of the five skandhas, constituent senses, you know, elements of the sense of self, and some of the 12 factors of dependent origination, and some other interesting matters as well. <laughs> so, rather than read all, I read it through once, what I want to do is go <clears throat> quickly through the 16. Uh, it's really quite a... Uh, monster or a <laughs> massive teaching in the sutta from the first paragraph we get the basic um the basic work the basic targeting of um of the sutta uh from tanasaro's translation in the middle of the first paragraph surveying the silent community of monks he gautama the blessed one addressed them quote Monks, if there are any who ask, meaning ask you, quote, meaning what the others are asking are saying, you're listening to teachings that are skillful, noble, leading onward, going to self-awakening, is a prerequisite for what? 
meaning if someone comes to you and asks you why are you listening to these teachings and what's the um, listening to these teachings is the basis for what they should be told he goes on quote for the sake of knowing qualities of dualities as they actually are and then what duality are you speaking about um, may then be asked the monk who says this to the questioner so um, listening to teachings is a prerequisite for what it's a prerequisite for knowing knowing dualities as they actually are knowing qualities of dualities as they are as they actually are knowing the truth of apparent duality as it actually is and what's that for that's for um, basically uh, one of two fruits can be expected for a monk rightly contemplating this duality in this way meaning each of the 16 dualities rightly then one of two fruits can be expected either gnosis which is jnana <laughs> as nityananda would uh, would smile uh, either gnosis right here and now meaning arahan or if there be any remnant of clinging sustenance clinging sustenance is upadana something <laughs> um, sustenance and nutriment are are um, portions of what keeps ba beings bound to reincarnation so clinging sustenance the basis for clinging ultimately there can't be there can't be the ending of clinging upadana which comes out of craving craving clinging tanna upadana there can't be the ending of those two while beings still are perceiving <laughs> and fashioning by samkara sanskara uh, various um, beliefs uh, conceivings of, of 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 anything so this is how radical enlightenment really is it's a freedom from the ordinary mode of perception and conceiving and consciousness itself which is um, hardwired by us by ignorance into subjectivism it's the ending of subjectivity uh, which is not the ending of presence the end of subjectivity is the end of limited consciousness with that only only with that comes the ending of clinging craving or the ending of sustenance for clinging and craving so 16 <laughs> dualities <clears throat> and the first one um, is basically the four noble truths divided into uh, two pairs and <clears throat> uh, the first so the first the most important duality for contemplation as the four noble truths is explained by Gautama as um, what duality you're talking about <laughs> what's the first one that um, is the purpose for for the understanding of which the monks are ardently listening to teaching this is stress meaning this is dukkha this is the origination of dukkha this is one contemplation he said then the second pair this is the cessation of dukkha this is the path of practice leading to the cessation of dukkha that's it Boom. so dukkha <clears throat> and its origination <clears throat> the cessation of dukkha and the path leading to that that's buddhism four noble truths in two pairs the two pairs represent a duality for contemplation 
rightly understood, leading to full and complete awakening in the moment, or non-returner. Not too bad. Meaning straight up to higher self, or I would say at a late sixth density. <clears throat> and so the next, uh, I'll go through this and then read the verses. <laughs> First, I want to go through the paragraphs to explain each of these 16 or present them very briefly, then go to the verses. This may well go to a third class. We'll see. The second main paragraph, second duality for contemplation is the contemplation that whatever dukkha comes into play is all from acquisition as a requisite condition. Acquisition of what? Well, acquisition of anything or the experience of a subject of a subjective identity uh, and an apparently external objectivity or realm of objects that can be acquired. The very experience of acquisition <clears throat> is acquisition. If there's no sense of self or the sense of self has, is, is in line with reality, which is beyond mental conceiving, uh, being receiving something given to you, is it acquisition? I don't know. I don't think it would be considered acquisition by the one who doesn't conceive uh, inner outer. That doesn't mean doesn't work effectively in inner outer. You know, working effectively in the apparent inner outer doesn't require um, believing in the concepts of inner outer. Mm, subject object. So the second duality is uh, whatever dukkha comes into play is all from acquisition as requisite condition and then the other point for contemplation the other pair or pole of the duality is from the remainderless fading and cessation of that very acquisition there's no coming into play of dukkha so a different way of looking at the first two noble truths of dukkha and its origination that dukkha is originated with a requisite condition of acquisition, which is ultimately going to be associated with Vijnana consciousness and uh, eighth fetter conceit and believing in your samskaric proliferation. So from the fading, remainderless fading and cessation then is how uh, acquisition uh, needs to be ended so then there's no dukkha forming. Okay? So, uh, Dukkha depending on acquisition, or no acquisition uh, leading to no Dukkha. The third is whatever Dukkha comes into play is from ignorance as requisite condition. So the ten, the twelfth factor, or one of the endpoints of dependent origination, avidya or tenth fetter. So uh, bases of Dukkha coming into play, number one, we've got acquisition which could also be called taking a body. <laughs> uh, the next one or another is ignorance or vidya, and then with the fading, remainderless fading and cessation, right? So remainderless fading, meaning it's no longer coming up and there's no remainder. The remainder is the karmic root. The fading is what the conscious mind uh, experiences. Conscious mind doesn't mean consciousness. It means the, the one... This, the awareness. <laughs> there can be awareness without subjectivity, of course. So that's the difference between consciousness and awareness. That's one way 
these words can be used is that consciousness is subjective and trans-subjective or freedom from subjectivity meaning eighth basically eighth and ninth and tenth fetters finished opens to a boundless awareness you know Gautama and eighth density or Nityananda or the guardians they're not like uh, insensate they have awareness <laughs> the the logos is aware but no longer dualistic and therefore no longer identified as a subjective consciousness identity is no longer subjective it's um, non-dual and so then so the the this other duality is how avidya ignorance is the basic condition giving rise to dukkha and without it there's no dukkha then um, dukkha based in fabrication right samkara which just so happens to be the next level the next link in the chain of dependent origination after ignorance or right nearby ignorance we're talking about how ignorance you know again depends on which way you go in the chain go clockwise or counterclockwise but uh, going in one direction from ignorance the next point is formations and that's also sankara samskara and that's the idea from this paragraph that whatever dukkha comes into play is all from fabrication or samskara as requisite condition because that leads to uh, ahamkara or the sense of self and then also with remainderless fading and cessation of samskara there's no coming into play of dukkha so uh, when the bases are removed um, that which they generally generate which they create can't be created right if there's no cause there's no effect if there's no uh, basis there's no uh, arising out of the basis the next duality as an understanding of the basis um, of dukkha is consciousness <laughs> which is really subjectivity so whatever dukkha comes into play is all from consciousness and then when there's no more when there's fading final fading and the ending of that root or experience or phenomena of consciousness subjective identity and conceit actually I mean Vijnana is not a heck of a lot different than conceit meaning all of what all of dualistic consciousness is filtered through uh, some very deep mind sense of um, separative identity absolutely so that's the next polarity or duality which is how dukkha comes from consciousness then whatever stress comes into play dukkha is all from contact and there we go to a different we go further on in the uh, 12 links um, where we have contact and now we have actually another portion of dependent origination as the next set of dualities <laughs> if anybody is uh, <laughs> needs to take a break I totally get it this is really quite a um, Vol voluminous text and a, and a big massive teaching in um, complex uh, complex um, theories or, or multiple uh, teachings in Buddhism compiled uh, in a single sutta the teaching on five skandhas the teaching on uh, upadi the teaching on dependent origination the teaching on ten fetters um, the teachings on four noble truths so it's a, all, all sorts of 
teachings woven together here. So then we've got uh, whatever stress or dukkha comes into play is all from contact as requisite condition. From contact then, whatever dukkha comes into play is all from feeling as requisite condition. Feeling is uh, also the second skanda, form feeling. Contact is of body with apparent external other object which gives rise to feeling. So first and second skandhas, form, feeling, and the third is perception, but uh, that will come later here. <laughs> so then we go, because we're actually going um, here in the 12 nidanas, or links in dependent origination, from contact to feeling we go to craving and clinging. And that's exactly where the, the sutta goes. And so after that comes the paragraph saying whatever dukkha comes into play is all from craving or tana as requisite condition. Then whatever crave, whatever dukkha comes up is all from clinging or upadana as requisite condition. And in all cases, when the basis, when those bases don't arise, likewise dukkha doesn't arise. All right. After that, uh, the next requisite condition for dukkha is disturbance. And I'm not really sure where that, what the Sanskrit or Pali for that is. The next one is nutriment. Nutriment could also, again, be understood as incarnative or form, ba basically taking birth in a dimension, dimensional incarnation, dimensional appearance as nutriment for dukkha. Next is uh, what is perturbed, <laughs> perturbation. Now that could be restlessness or ninth fetter, but I don't know what the, the Pali word there is. So then whatever dukkha comes into play or arises or is experienced comes from being from what is perturbed being another requisite condition. Strange creatures. Uh, in the wind, the big the great bamboo tree uh, sways and uh, some old portions break and then something rubs on my roof. Then um, the next requisite is a dependency uh, and wavering. And so now, after the discussion, after the um, point of the duality in which dukkha comes into play from what is perturbed, then we get into a different, then, then we get into the home stretch. And we have um, four more contemplations, four more dualities. They're actually quite interesting here at the end. Uh, uh, what other contemplation or right contemplation of dualities is critical or the being a teaching, a purpose for which beings, monks, listen to these teachings? <laughs> Listening to these teachings for the purpose of contemplating what other dualities? They should be told, yes, there would. How would that be? And here's the next. For one who is dependent, there is wavering. One who is independent doesn't waver. Okay. And then we've got the last, and that dependency and wavering is very much about um, grasping um, or depending on. And you can say that all beings in the octave depend on um, phenomena, depend on um, desire. <laughs> I mean, they're all run by ignorance. We are all under the sway of um, avidya, tenth fetter. But 
um, there is a massive depending going on and, and um, all teachings of serious religion <laughs> serious religion not, not, not silly silly talk but serious teaching uh, that understands uh, that the great work is uh, complete perfection transformation of mind body spirit seven chakras all one is and um, ultimately really does it has to objectively include um, training in virtue, Sheila, uh, mind training for concentration and quietude and the capacity to be ready for revelation, to, to have the mind ready for insight, vipassana, I mean, then that's samadhi, and then the insights and awakenings that lead to the, the tangible that are the demonstration of seven chakra perfection in play um, there's no path to the end of octave without that whether it's Buddhism Hinduism Advaita Vedanta Sufism Taoism you know that, that I don't think there are too many other I don't I don't know if Christianity Islam or Judaism have any conception of seven dimensional evolution actually I mean in terms of path teaching that goes all the way from here to there from three to eight I don't I don't know if any of them do Advaita Vedanta, Hinduism, uh, Vedic teaching does, uh, Buddhism does, Taoism probably does, but not in such a structured way. Um, Sufi, perhaps, a diamond way, Almas, H-A Almas, maybe, yep, maybe. But I don't know, and I don't know if there are too many others. So the next, close to the end here, now we've got three very interesting contemplations, the last three. Things get kind of cool or interesting when you're, oh, when you're in the home stretch and almost finished with the race. Uh, the third to last, Gautama said. Now, if there are any who ask, would there be the right contemplation of dualities in yet another way? Meaning, is there another duality we can rightly contemplate uh, for release or gnosis right here and now or non-return? Yes, there would. How would that be? And Gautama says, formless phenomena are more peaceful than forms. <laughs> this is one contemplation. Cessation is more peaceful than formless phenomena. Boom. Mic drop. If you ever watched the movie City of Ghosts, uh, there is the weirdest, one of the weirdest scenes, very accurate, of a late night karaoke in the Cambodian forest in the Cambodian hinterland um, with James Khan singing in Khmer or Cambodian language <laughs> totally stone drunk and then he drops the mic at the end if you want to there's a movie that's from Matt Dillon D-I-L-L-O-N brother of some other Dillon fellow uh, uh, Matt Dillon I think it's a masterpiece called City of Ghosts um, that movie's not only about Cambodia it is Cambodia that movie is Cambodia actually and I've never been there physically but I know <laughs> I thus thus have I heard thus do I believe and uh, he does a famous mic drop at a very strange scene in a karaoke in the Cambodian hinterland very very serious movie anyway so this contemplation is Formless phenomena are more peaceful than forms. 
And that's basically saying um, Arupa Loka is um, more Shanti, is more Samatha, is of greater, greater value than Rupa Loka. Arupa Loka, Arupa, no form, formless, Loka, world, formless worlds, or the experience of the higher four jhanas are more peaceful, they're more lovely, they're higher value, they're greater, greater sukha, much more sukha, greater sukha, happiness, joy, well-being, in formless phenomena than forms. <laughs> eh? So it's basically saying uh, late six density and seven density is better than four and five. This is one contemplation. Then the next cessation, nibban, extinction, the ending of perception and consciousness, the ending of ignorance and rebirth and dukkha. Cessation is more peaceful than formless phenomena. Boom. And so, <laughs> only Buddhism can talk this way, and uh, nearly no Buddhists seem to understand this, actually. What does it mean? Formless phenomena are better. They're more of greater sukha and peace and well-being than form. So formless jhanas are better than the first four jhanas. And sixth and seventh density, if you can call them formless, uh, to some degree six, but seven for sure. Six and seven density, or upper six and seven, are better than four and five. <laughs> so if you really want greater sukha, uh, go to the formless. But even better than the formless, cessation is more peaceful than formless phenomena. That's the second contemplation. And that's uh, the mind, there's something called the mind inclining to Nibbana, which means uh, people who meditate a long time can get to a condition where it's more pleasant um, to be mindful than to be craving, clinging, grasping, and averring. Meaning the mind enjoys uh, samadhi. And uh, one doesn't do meditation because one has to, but because one likes samadhi or samatha or peaceful or non-proliferation or quiet mind better than grasping doing thinking figuring calculating taking rejecting all that activity of samskara and um, speech and action all that becomes of lower value than um, enjoying formless phenomena you can say but better than that is cessation which is not the same as quiet mind it's more than that then <laughs> the last two if those were not if that's not enough for you what other dualities well yes there would be right contemplation to dualities in yet another way they should be told yes there would how would that be that thomas says whatever is considered as this is true by the world with its devas maras and brahmas meaning uh, human and higher dimensional with his contemplatives and Brahmins, royalty and common folk is rightly seen as it actually is with right discernment by the noble ones as this is false. So one contemplation is what everybody says is true when, you know, of, of what the whole world says is true that's not true, um, one with right discernment will know is not, is not true. So what everybody, one duality here, this is like the second to last, that, that the whole world and humans and higher dimensions says is true wrongly. When they wrongly say it's true, the contemplation is that the, those with right discernment know it's false. The other is 
whatever the world whatever the world with its devas maras brahmas contemplatives brahmins royalty common folk um is mistakenly said is false will be rightly seen as it actually is with right discernment by the noble ones as true this is true okay so what everyone wrongly says is true is known as false well, let's say mistakenly what what every wall what <laughs> what humans and devas and all the beings of creation say wrong mistakenly say is true is known as false and what they mistakenly say is false is known as true so getting clear on true and false and right and wrong is uh, particularly um, an important duality for contemplation and the final is uh, whatever is wrongly mistakenly considered as this is bliss this is bliss right this is so first was true and false here is happiness and pain whatever is and i would say wrongly or mistakenly considered as this is bliss by the world with its devas maras brahmas contemplatives brahmins royalty common folk is then rightly seen as it actually is with right discernment by the noble ones as this is dukkha so whatever is mistakenly considered blissful by everybody physical non-physical when it's mistakenly seen as blissful it's known rightly as dukkha stressful then the other part the other duality the other pair for the other portion of the duality and another duality is that whatever is considered mistakenly this is dukkha or bad or painful by the world and everyone is then rightly seen correctly by the noble ones as this is bliss so while the other duality was of true and false this is about bliss and dukkha or happy sad meaning good and bad i mean what's blissful would be considered good no and what's painful or dukkha would be considered bad for most right thinking folks except for people on the negative path where everything's upside down so aside for those on aside from those on the negative path the 10% who who are completely inside out and upside down Aside from them, for everyone else, bliss is called good, and suffering or dukkha is called bad, at least if we want to label them. So then this is about um, rightly knowing the mistakes of the world. The mistakes of uh, mistaken beliefs of the world are rightly seen as mistaken belief, and a correct belief is obtained or developed by those who are noble ones or those who are uh, high in discernment and clarity so the duality of everyone what everyone calls when when the world calls it true when the world mistakenly calls it true it should be known as false when the world mistakenly calls it false and it's true that should be known too when the world mistakenly considers something wonderful and we know it's not we should know it's not when the world mistakenly calls something terrible and it is not and we we should know it's not and then um, we're living in truth <laughs> and we're also not uh, obtaining the painful that everyone says is is pleasure okay and that goes through all the dualities then there are the verses on the dualities and uh, then there's time that passes so let me just read the verses uh, top to bottom 
and um, that might conclude the page we'll see uh, it's a real testing here <laughs> so it's a testing it's a challenge for me to read it and have my mind organized enough to not step on my shoelaces so let's uh, just read through the verses which uh, follow each of these 16 dualities uh, this is what the Blessed One said meaning that was in reference to the first paragraph of the Four Noble Truths having said that the one well gone the teacher said further and I will now just read all of them number one one meaning first verse those who don't discern dukkha and what brings dukkha into play and where it totally stops without trace who don't know the path right these are the four normal truths the way to the stilling of stress the ones who don't know all that lowly in their awareness release and discernment release meaning they have neither awareness nor discernment of release incapable of making an end they're headed to birth and aging but those who discern stress or dukkha what brings dukkha into play and where it totally stops without trace who discern the path the way to the stilling of dukkha consummate in their awareness release and discernment release capable of making an end they are not headed to birth and aging number two the manifold stresses that come into play in the world come from acquisition as their cause anyone not knowing this creates acquisition the fool he comes to dukkha again and again therefore discerning this or discerning you shouldn't create acquisition as you contemplate birth as what brings stress into play okay so acquisition seems to be of birth acquisition of a body of a form the um, basis of dimensional appearance is the linkage of consciousness awareness uh, into a body form appropriate to the dimension so discerning this you shouldn't create acquisition as you contemplate birth as what brings dukkha into play number three those who journey the wandering on through birth and death again and again in this state here or anywhere else that destination is simply through avidya ignorance this ignorance avidya is a great delusion whereby they have wandered on a long long time while beings immersed in clear knowing don't go to further becoming next any stress or dukkha that comes into play is all from fabrication or samkara as a requisite combination or requisite condition with the cessation of samskara proliferation non-proliferation there is no dukkha coming into play knowing this drawback that dukkha comes from sankara samskara as a requisite condition with the tranquilizing of all samskara with the stopping of perception that's how there is the ending of dukkha knowing this as it actually is an attainer of wisdom sees rightly seeing rightly the wise overcoming the fetter of mara go to no further becoming or rebirth next any dukkha that comes into play is all from consciousness vijnana as a requisite condition with the cessation of consciousness there is no stress or dukkha coming into play knowing this drawback 
that dukkha comes from consciousness as a requisite condition with the stilling of consciousness. The monk is free from hunger, is totally unbound. Next, for those overcome by contact, flowing along in the stream of becoming, following a miserable path, the ending of fetters is far away, ten fetters, while those who comprehend contact, this uh, experience of an apparent meeting point of uh, subjective body, my body, and apparently uh, other uh, objective, external uh, environmental object or, or person, while those who comprehend contact, delighting in stilling through discernment, this may be wisdom, Prajna, I don't know. Delighting in stilling through discernment, they, by breaking through contact, free from hunger, are totally unbound. <clears throat> Next, knowing that whatever is felt, pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain, within or without, is dukkha, deceptive, dissolving, seeing its passing away at each contact, each contact. He knows it right there. With just the ending of feeling, Vedana, there is no dukkha coming into play. So contact goes to feeling, right? First, first this is very much of the phenomena of having first skanda body or form leads to <laughs> the experience of some kind of so-called contact of that body form with something apparently external or experienced as external. Uh, objective that leads to a feeling in the body. And with the ending of feeling, there's no dukkha coming into play. Then, with craving Tana, his companion, a man wanders on a long, long time. Neither in this state here nor anywhere else does he go beyond the wandering on, meaning in any dimension he's still wandering. Knowing this drawback that Tanha brings dukkha into play, free from Tana, devoid of clinging, upadana, mindful, the monk lives the wandering life, staying out of, trying to stay out of craving and clinging. Then, from clinging, upadana, as a requisite condition, so this is very much going on the chain of the nidanas, 12 nidanas in dependent origination. The craving goes next to clinging, <clears throat> and then becomes attachment in the three unwholesome roots, grasping aversion ignorance. From clinging or upadana as requisite condition comes becoming. And that leads to dukkha. One baba, one who has come into being, goes to dukkha. There is death for one who is born. This is the coming into play of dukkha. Thus, with the ending of clinging, upadana, the wise seeing rightly, directly knowing the ending of birth, go to no further becoming. Then, any stress that comes into play, dukkha, is all from disturbance as a requisite condition. With the cessation of disturbance, there is no dukkha coming into play. Knowing this drawback, that dukkha comes from disturbance as requisite condition, with the relinquishing of all disturbance, a monk released in non-disturbance, his craving, or tana, for becoming crushed, his mind at peace. His wandering on in birth totally ended. He has no further becoming. Then, any stress or dukkha that comes into play is all from nutriment as a requisite condition. With the cessation of nutriment, 
there is no stress or dukkha coming into play. Knowing this drawback, that dukkha comes from nutriment as a requisite condition, comprehending all nutriment, independent of all nutriment, rightly seeing freedom from disease through the total ending of fermentations, meaning samkara. So nutriment is very much associated with what fermentations feed upon. <laughs> the deep mind kleshas and um, asravas, the thirst for becoming and clinging craving in very subtle ways, could be called the nutriment uh, that gives rise to fermentations. Fermentations are fermenting what? They're fermenting by way of the nutriment. <laughs> What's the nutriment? Well, deep mind belief in self or separative entity craving clinging, deep mind uh, agitation, you know, ninth fetter, restlessness that never ends, that doesn't end until uh, false subjectivity is ended. There, there, for as long as there's false subjectivity, eighth fetter, there'll be ninth fetter and tenth. And ninth is restlessness, which is basically deep mind agitation, deep mind um, disturbance. So comprehending all nutriment, independent of all nutriment, rightly seeing freedom from disease, mind disease, <laughs> existential disease, through the total ending of fermentations, sankara, judiciously associating a judge, he, an attainer of wisdom, goes beyond judgment, beyond classification. So one needs right, right judging to go beyond judging. Mm. Uh, you have to have a strong sense of self because you before you can have no sense of self. Some wags talk about something like that. You have to have a strong self. You have to have a healthy self. You have to have to have an e healthy ego before you can have no ego. Well, that's you know cute, but there's some truth to that. <laughs> there, there has to be stability of mind before one can realize um, true the, the true nature of anatta. And that really is the ending of all. Uh, that, that is a, a, not the ending yet of ninth fetter restlessness, but some degree of tranquilizing <laughs> of deep mind uh, agitation or the deep mind ever um, unsettled condition that keeps generating desire, craving, clinging, attachment. So, freedom from disease through the total ending of samkara, judiciously associating a judge. He, an attainer of wisdom, goes beyond judgment, beyond classification. Nityananda talks much about that. Then, any stress or dukkha that comes into play is all from what is perturbed as a requisite condition. With the cessation of what is perturbed, there is no dukkha coming into play. Knowing this drawback, that dukkha comes from what is perturbed as a requisite condition. The monk thus renouncing perturbance, putting a stop to fabrications. Again, these are the bases, the deep mind bases of samkaric proliferation, meaning what gives rise to continued thinking feeling? Why? <laughs> Why? Because there's something unsettled in the deep mind that leads to some kind of sense of, I need more. I need definition. I need comprehension. I need to define. I need objects to grasp. I need to get something away. I need mental process because there's something wrong here. Anyway, knowing this drawback that dukkha comes from what is perturbed as a requisite condition, the monk thus renouncing perturbance, putting a stop to samkara, free from perturbance, 
free from clinging, Padana, mindful he lives the wandering life. Then, one who's independent doesn't waver. One who's dependent, clinging to this state here or anywhere else, this is kind of a thirst for uh, becoming, doesn't go beyond the wandering on. So one who's dependent, clinging to this state here or anywhere else, doesn't go beyond the wandering on, meaning they keep wandering on. Knowing this drawback, the great danger in dependencies, it's basically a, a depending on a continued seeking of changed mental state, change of, seeking changes in consciousness even. Knowing this drawback, the great danger in dependencies, this is very ontological <laughs> uh, level or even epistemological um, ontological, epistemological meaning, very much of the core, uh, very, very much associated with functions of the core, uh, deeper levels of beingness. That that beingness, at deep levels, um, uh, establishes dependencies by way of perturbance and disturbance that give rise to proliferation. That gives rise, ultimately, to consciousness itself. So this is pretty radical in terms of what needs to be seen through. Knowing this drawback, the great danger in dependencies, independent, free from clinging, the mindful, the monk lives the wandering life. Then we have the verse associated with uh, <laughs> this very lovely comment that formless phenomena are more peaceful than forms, and cessation is more peaceful than formless phenomena. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, six and seven density are better than four and five, and higher four jhanas are better than the lower four jhanas. Better meaning more sukha, more peaceful, more well, more well-being. And then cessation is even better than formless. The verse is, those beings headed to forms, meaning headed to fourth and fifth density, or headed to um, upper <laughs> Kamaloka or Rupaloka anywhere, and those standing in the formless, without a body, of course, with no knowledge of cessation, return to further becoming. So if you're headed to forms, as well as those who are standing in the formless, those who are in fourth, fifth, sixth density, uh, with no knowledge of cessation, they're still, uh, they're not in the deathless yet, return to further becoming, meaning reincarnate somewhere. But comprehending form, not taking a stance in formless things, not attachment to the formless states. Those released in cessation are people who've left death behind. And the last two about everyone wrongly thinking something true or false, mistaken, the, the, the crowd, this, these are, this is very much about these last two verses, paragraphs, don't take the crowd as your teacher. <laughs> the crowd is not your teacher. The crowd is, they have their own views. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Uh, just don't assume they're always right and recognize that sometimes they're wrong. And so uh, majority opinion doesn't mean truth. It means majority opinion. They may be majority mistaken. Ten out of ten people say something is so doesn't mean it is so. It may be, it may not be. The verses for those are, in terms of <clears throat> um, uh, what the crowd, human and transhuman, uh, low, middle, high, um, in development even, 
what they take what they wrongly take as true what they wrongly or mistakenly take as false should be known as uh, mistaken the verses see the world together with his devas conceiving not self to be self hmm. conceiving selfhood where there isn't entrenched in namarupa name and form they conceive that all conceiving right samskara they conceive that this is true in whatever terms they conceive it it turns into something other than that and that's what's false about it changing impermanence anicca it's deceptive by nature maya undeceptive by nature is unbinding this is the counterpoint that the noble ones know as true they through breaking through to the truth free from hunger tana are totally unbound i read it again see the world together with its devas meaning higher dimensional too conceiving not self to be self entrenched in namarupa name and form they conceive that this is true in whatever terms they conceive it it turns into something other than that meaning other than that what it is by the very act of conception boom and that's what's false about it changing it's deceptive by nature because it's all because of impermanence eh, because of impermanence all conception is mistaken it may be relatively useful or functional relatively true consensus or not it may be functionally useful to say um to, to conceive i've got to hold my hand a certain way to pick up a cup is uh, the way to carry the cup without dropping it a different conception will lead me to fall uh, dropping the cup not holding it tightly or rightly so it's functionally useful but essentially in terms of what is uh, you know at the on level of uh, ontology meaning what is if we can say there is some objective reality uh, conception is not the way <laughs> conception doesn't reveal it in whatever terms they conceive it it turns into something other than that and that's what's false about it changing it's deceptive by nature because everything is impermanent undeceptive by nature meaning not deceptive what is not deceptive by nature is unbinding mm, nirvana that the noble ones know as true they through breaking through to the truth free from hunger or craving are totally unbound and the final uh, verse on the final paragraph again uh, rejecting what the crowd mistakenly considers so where the crowd mistakenly considers this is bliss when it's dukkha or this is dukkha when it's bliss or this is good when in fact it's bad or this is bad when in fact to the yogi who rightly sees it's known as as the other a lot of dualities here uh, so first we have true and false and then we have ultimately good and bad or pleasure and pain and so pleasure or well-being is what we seek so it's good and it's admirable to seek uh, and that which is bad is what's painful or what's painful is bad and that which we that is that which we would <laughs> rightly not seek or seek to eliminate and when the crowd has mistaken opinion uh, it should be known as mistaken opinion the last verse on that is all sights sounds smells tastes this is five skanda perception 
all sights, sounds, smells, tastes, tactile sensations, and ideas, right, six sense realms of contact, all that are welcome, appealing, agreeable, as long as they're said to exist, are supposed by the world, together with its devas, to be bliss, mistakenly. But when they cease, they're supposed by them to be stress. The stopping of self-identity is viewed by the noble ones as bliss. This is the counterpoint to the, to the first point or pole, node of the duality. In counterpoint, I'd say, the stopping of self-identity is viewed by the noble ones as bliss. This is contrary to what's seen by the world as a whole. What others say is blissful, the noble ones say is dukkha. What others say is dukkha, the noble ones know as bliss. See the Dhamma, hard to understand. Here, those who don't know are confused. For those who are veiled, it is darkness, blindness for those who don't see. But for the good, it is blatant, meaning obvious and plain, like light for those who see. Though in their very presence they don't understand it, dumb animals, unadept in the Dhamma, it's not easy for those overcome by passion for becoming, flowing along in the stream of becoming, Baba, falling under Mara's sway, to wake up to this Dhamma. Who, apart from the noble, is worthy to wake up to this state? The state that, though through rightly knowing it, they're free from samkara, samskara, free from fermentation, totally unbound. And after he said that, at the, la at the end of this mega sutta, uh, the last verse is, this is what the Blessed One said, gratified the monks delighted in the Blessed One's words. And while this explanation was being given, the mind of 60 monks, the minds of 60 monks, through lack of clinging, were fully released from fermentation. Now, I actually have to do something, and I will pause. <laughs> so I'm going to pause the recording here. Please wait. All right. Thank you for the waiting, even though it wasn't such a long wait for you, a longer wait for me. So uh, to conclude this sutta, Vyatanupasana, contemplation or insight into dualities, um, we can see that um, the dualities that are rightly contemplated that lead to greater release, greater final release eventually, but greater release along the way, insight and um, deeper understanding and the, the basis for continuing our evolution are very much a contemplation of what gives rise to dukkha and what doesn't. <clears throat> now, essentially, <laughs> uh, any, any, <laughs> in any, uh, conceived identity or uh, subjectivity, any uh, desire, craving, clinging, attachment, any nutriment for deep mind um, basis of thinking and feeling and conceiving and believing that and wanting more or something, all those are bases of dukkha. Uh, <clears throat> for those that are aiming for complete and perfect awakening in this lifetime, all those bases of dukkha would have to be removed. So when they cease 
or fade and then there's no uh, further establishing of those prerequisites for the formation of dukkha or rebirth <laughs> or identity and deep mind restlessness is gone yeah sure beings leave the octave <clears throat> but i think that we can take um these very uh, high teachings uh, in our own way at our own stage of development um, in accord with our own personally determined gradient of ascent or, or slope of ascent meaning the angle um, that we've chosen just how much <clears throat> we wish to be uh, desireless <laughs> just how much we wish, wish to restrain ourselves uh, from any form of um, material or mental seeking versus um, seeking complete and perfect release on binding. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, the octave was not created so beings could escape from it. <laughs> Even though the purpose of uh, beings in the octave is that they learn and grow and evolve uh, and thus, you know, the original desires entities seek and become one. It, it, it's sort of, uh, I think, a little strange to conceive that the only or the sole purpose of creation is that beings make maximal effort to get out as soon as possible. <laughs> it seems a little strange to me. Uh, so <clears throat> beings wish God wants experience um, and yet all sorts of experience lead to suffering or all experience being impermanent uh, and mentally fashioned. Um, associated with ignorance is of dukkha to some degree and yet <clears throat> um, uh, our own personally determined gradient of ascent or development just how strict we wish to be just how we wish to um, clear or how much clearing healing balancing we wish to do uh, based on all that we can take these teachings and make them fit to our own needs without betraying the original spirit of the teaching. So with that, uh, it's really impossible for me to <laughs> sum up these kinds of things. Uh, this completes chapter 3 Mahavaga of the Sutta Nipata Sutta collection. Next time, um, I'm not sure. I may skip Atakavaga, the fourth chapter of, ver of suttas, and go directly to Parayanavaga. Uh, I may take a little break before I do that. Uh, we'll see, or I'll see, and then I'll uh, be here and do it. So in any case, um, I hope this is useful to you, uh, and thank you for listening. I hope the recording worked out okay with the pause. So please take good care of yourselves and um, uh, contemplate deeply and know what is clearly. So thanks again. Take good care. Good night.